Grace, mercy, and peace are yours this day from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus couldn't have been more clear who this parable was against if he said the name of those wicked tenants rhymed with Blarises. Their crimes are clear. The prophets were the most mistreated by the very people that they were sent to seek. It wasn't the pagans, but the leaders of the people of Israel who killed them, who beat them, who stoned them. It was the leaders of the people of Israel who would not be corrected. They would not return to God's word. They believed there was such a thing as the vineyard. They just came to hate that they didn't own it. The vineyard was Israel, God's promised nation. And it was something to behold back then. It fought wars under Joshua and won battles. No army that size had any right to win. It walked through the sea by Moses. There was power there. The tenants of the vineyard wanted that. They wanted the control, the influence. And they grew so desperate for that power that when confronted with the prophets of their master, they committed great atrocities just to hold on to it. See, the Pharisees never stopped believing in the vineyard, in Israel. They just sort of came to believe that there was no real master of it. It's how they could actually come to the conclusion that, hey, if we just kill this guy, nobody will come and take this thing from us. They actually think that they can have the son's inheritance by murdering him, but that only means They think the father's already gone. To watch this thing play out in a parable only highlights the desperation that they have for influence, for power, that leads to worse and worse decisions. What will happen to those tenants when the owner of the vineyard comes? I mean, what else could happen? He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. See, the Pharisees see their position as under attack. It wasn't, though. That's the thing. There were supposed to be tenants in the vineyard, and it was actually supposed to be them because God put them there. The prophets were not sent to remove them, but just to collect the fruits that belonged to the master, to insist that the institution stand apart from that purpose. It's to ask What can I take from this? Not what would God give for it. And you see where it leads. And worse, it's the second question that we usually miss when we talk about this parable. It's easy just to sort of stop right there, find the Pharisees at fault, and rejoice that it has already been addressed. Pledge to do a better job. This parable stands almost unique in the problem that it presents us this way. See, we always go looking for ourselves in the parables and usually forget to look for Jesus. We turn him into fables and morals about how to live good life. This one stands apart, though, because it's almost hard to see where we would ever fit in it. It's the folks who rhyme with Blarisy that are the tenants. God is the master. That, the son given to death. Oh, that's Jesus, sure. We don't usually look for ourselves in this one, probably because there really aren't good guys here. So we'll just be the ones who come later and, you know, clean up their mess. 
So when we preach this thing, you'll hear a lot of sermons about how power corrupts. Every four years or so, it might get especially political. We'll find leaders who do not use their authority to serve others, but to make others serve them. It's weird how it's always the other side that does that. We'll assume that we in the church are absolutely immune to that because, you know, we have good intentions. The thing is, though, the Pharisees started out with the very best of intentions, too. Their intentions didn't actually go bad until Jesus started preaching to them. Until then, they were the ones who were upright in their community. They were the ones who wanted to uphold the law. It was only once Jesus started preaching sermons against them that they decided, you know what, getting all murdery would be better. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we cannot be unwilling to be preached against from God's word. None of us. The only ones who would not hear God's word were the wicked tenants. And when we seek to replace them, even with the very best of intentions, of doing the very best of jobs, to increase the harvest, to win something for the master, we ignore the only question in this parable that actually matters. What would God give for his vineyard? We ignore the one person who's even more desperate than the tenants, the master who sends his own son. This is how desperate he is to collect what's inside of that vineyard. Do you think this was a surprise to him? What happened? Truly? See how desperate the master was to collect what was produced in the vineyard, that he didn't think about it like that. It didn't matter the danger. It didn't matter the risk. He just had to get what was in that vineyard. This was the price he was willing to pay, not just the death of his servants, but even the death of his own son. Guys, this isn't business. This is not how you do business. This is when you cut your losses. This is when you light the thing on fire or cut down the hedgerow and let it grow wild and start over. This is not about business. This is not profitable. This is about love. The master was so desperate to collect what is inside of that vineyard because this is where you finally fit in the parable. You see, you are not the tenants. You are not the ones who come later. You are what is produced in the vineyard. You're the fruit. You are that which the master is so desperate to collect to his own side that he would even send his own son just to gather it in. This is where we fit. Now we can see the love that God has not for the righteous, not for the ones who have done his work, but for those he has simply produced and wants to see drawn to his side. This is the love that God has for sinners. For me, for you, for all, not based on what we can do, not even based on what we have done wrong, but based on the fact that God so loves sinners that he would see us name something else. He would send forth his son, Jesus Christ, to bear the cross, to bleed, and to die for you and for me, that we would not be known by anything less than this. You are the ones the Father wants to call home. You are the ones who are loved by God so much that he would uproot you and carry you into the life to come. This is not about business and not about sense. This is about the price that God would pay for you, and he would gladly pay his life. Because the vineyard was only ever planted to bring in the harvest to the Lord. The church only exists to save sinners. Not the righteous, but the sinners. The stone that the builders rejected becomes something marvelous. 
the cornerstone, the rock upon which everything is built. Everything that we do here must be about this and only this. Christ given for sinners. Jesus given for you. Here, we have something to stand on. Here, the evil one is utterly crushed. Here, we see the price paid for you, not gold or silver, but the holy and precious blood, the innocent suffering and death of God, that you would be his own and live under him in his kingdom. The church stands for that, because God is still a part of that. The vineyard is precious because the Lord visits it to collect you sinners. And so the one thing the church can never be is about its own influence. Especially today, either out of zeal or pride or growing fear, when the church becomes about her own influence, she always becomes pathetic. The institution that cares for itself, never actually cares about the people inside it. It only sees them as a means to an end. Let that kind of vineyard be overrun. If this is where the Lord wishes to collect a harvest, though, look to where he does it and rejoice. The church is built on Christ, the cornerstone. He is still present here for you to gather you to his side. He is present in that font that he would name you his child. He is present on that altar in body and blood for you, for the forgiveness of your sins, for life and salvation. These gifts will never carry the influence the world wants. But maybe that's okay. He sent prophets to preach and then die. He sent his son not to be a king of this world, but to win for us the kingdom to come. He wins for you the salvation that he has promised. Let go of the idea of influence and power and return to the Lord and know that you have been given the far better gift. It was the Father who sent the Son to bear the cross for you, to bring you to his own side. It was the Son who died for you, that you would have life everlasting. These are not measured in terms of power and influence, but in whether or not the Father would drag you, even kicking and screaming if need be, and to his side and to the glories of the life to come. Rejoice, for the Father sends the Son to collect you. In the name of Jesus, amen.